Sunday, we talked about the story of the prodigal son from that 15th chapter of Luke. And we approached it more as a prodigal, uh, a story of a loving father. You'll remember that the story was not original with Jesus. There was an older story in Hebrew literature where a son returned home after leaving only to be rejected by his father. That's what his listeners expected to hear. But Jesus surprised them when he told them about the love of a heavenly father who accepted the son and welcomed him even as if he had never left. To begin this morning, let me share with you a few things, four things, that you will never hear a dad say. You will never hear a dad say, well, family, it looks like I'm lost. I'm going to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> you will never hear a dad say, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. This would be a perfect time for you kids to throw a party. <laughs> Not going to hear it. Another thing that you will never hear a dad say is, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. <laughs> and then finally, the number one thing that you'll never hear a dad say is, now that you are 13, princess, I want you to start dating older guys. <laughs> now there's one thing that you will never hear your heavenly father say, and that is, if you walk away from me, you can never come back. Instead, God is a loving heavenly father. He loves you so much that he will even allow you to walk away, if that is your choice, to walk out of fellowship with him. He will not force you, he will not coerce a relationship with you. And at the same time, he will never stop loving you. He will meet you when you return to him. And when you repent, he will treat you as if you never left. Now, we do need to understand that sometimes, in fact, many, if not most times, there are going to be consequences to sin. But the relationship with God remains intact. And so today we look once again at this parable, this time concentrating on the rebellious son. You can follow if you want in that 15th chapter of Luke, starting with verse 11. I'll just recap the story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son wanted his inheritance. So the father divided his estate between the two sons, gave the younger son what was rightfully his, and the son leaves home. He goes to what the Bible calls a far country, and as that word prodigal describes, he wasted not only the money he was given, but he wasted those opportunities that had been his as a son of the father. He was reduced to tending pigs on a farm. He was so hungry that he longed to even eat the food that they had. That brought him to his senses, Jesus said, and he realized that even the servants back home had it better than he did. So he decided to go home. And when he was still a long way from home, his father saw him, ran to him, and embraced him. And before he could even offer all of his rehearsed speech of repentance, 
His father restored all that he had lost. New clothes, a ring, new sandals, all signifying his rightful part of the family. The father called for a feast and a celebration. And the, the story ends with the father explaining how his son who had been given up for dead was now alive. He who was lost was now found. Charles Dickens once wrote about this parable, the prodigal son is the finest short story ever written. And I think that many would agree with that. In a few short verses, it is the story of a loving father, a rebellious son, and a resentful brother. But it's more than just a nice story. It moves us on several levels. Sometimes we are more like the father and we identify with his pain. In one way or another, we can also identify with that wayward son who rebelled and walked away from his father, representing our walking away from God. And then part three of this short series examines us, whether we want to admit it or not, from the perspective of that older brother, the one that I call the in-country prodigal, because he too was wasting some opportunities. And so today's message is in two parts. First, we're going to see some steps that lead away from God, and then we're going to see some steps that lead back to God. And for the main points of my outline today, I'm using words of a familiar gospel song. Number one in your outlines, I've wandered far away from God. That younger son did not just wake up one morning in that far country. He ended up there after a series of bad decisions and bad steps. And so let's look at that far away, but yet not so far away place. First of all, the younger brother, the younger son followed his path to a restless nation. That younger son experienced what many people feel at one time or another. He got bored with family life, and he wanted to experience the real world. And that restless spirit caused him then to demand his inheritance and leave home just as soon as he got the money. He thought the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. And so all he wanted was to be out on his own. And what he found out was the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but he also found out he couldn't afford the water bill. That restless path is found in a lot of people. In marriage, it's referred to as that seven-year itch, even though it may come long before or long after that seven-year mark. Have you ever heard any husband or wife speak of feeling trapped? They wanted out because they were afraid they were going to miss out on some pleasure or some gratifying experience by staying in what they considered to be a stale relationship. But there's a strong truth for us here. I have to doubt if very many husbands or wives suddenly wake up one morning and just decide here and there that they're going to either have an affair or walk out on that marriage. In many cases, they traveled down a path through a restless 
nation. And in the restless nation, we feel like we are missing out. Go all the way back to Genesis in the Bible. And what do we see? Satan telling Eve that this fruit was something that she was missing out on. Well, if God is so good, why is he making you miss out on having some of this fruit? Satan did not create that hunger inside Eve, but he did cultivate it and it worked. And it happens to many people. It's been many years ago now that a baby boy was born in a small town in England. His parents named him Robert. He was Robert Robinson. His father died when Robert was eight years old. And not long after that, he became an apprentice to a barber and used his training to help support his mother. And though formal education was limited to him, he loved to read and to study. And under the influence of evangelist George Whitefield, Robert became a Christian, later became a Baptist minister. Now, we don't know the reasons why, but for some unexplained reason, Robert became disillusioned and he walked away from the faith that he once embraced. He wandered farther and farther away from the God that he once so dearly loved. That love that was once so deep and passionate inside him slowly burned out until he was cold and dark on the inside. Years later, he found himself on a street in London. And when he heard a horse-drawn carriage approaching from behind him, he stopped to wave down the driver. But when he saw that that cab was occupied, he just motioned for the cab driver to pass on, and he turned to walk away. A young woman in that cab had the cab driver stop and offered to share the carriage with him. Robert first declined, but then he accepted the offer. And after stepping inside the carriage, he introduced himself and he thanked her for her kindness. And he noticed a strange look on her face when he said his name. That's a coincidence, she said. And she pulled a small leather book from her purse and said, I was just reading a poem by a Robert Robinson. Come, thou fount of every blessing, she read. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Robert lowered his head, and he turned away from her to hide a tear in his eye. Do you know this, she asked. I wrote those words many years ago, he said. Oh, would you read them for me now? And she handed him the book. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. He read, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. He could barely read the next few lines as tears now were streaming down his face. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He handed the book back to her. 
And he said, I am the unhappy man who wrote those words. And if I owned a thousand worlds, I would give all of them away to feel once again what I felt back then. And she said, oh, but you also wrote, here's my heart, take and seal it. You can offer your heart to God again, Mr. Robinson. It is never too late. And it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. He walked with God the rest of his life. And later those words were set to music to become one of our best-loved hymns. People of any century, from any country, and at any age can be prone to this restless attitude. Think of the pain and the suffering and the anguish and the heartache that our prodigal son in our story could have avoided if he had just seen the danger of that restlessness. Is there anything wrong with following, pursuing a dream? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with just wanting a different life from other people or even from your parents? Absolutely not. But that's not the case with the story of our prodigal. Luke is careful to say he squandered his money with wild living. When left unchecked, restlessness can also lead to another nation. Be in your outlines to a reckless nation. The younger son left his father's rules for a life of no rules. The Bible says he squandered his wealth on wild living. Why? Because back home there were always rules. No doubt, his father must have told him there are certain things you can do and there are certain things you cannot do. But now he was free and he could do anything he wanted because he had no restrictions and he had the money until that money ran out. There are people today who walk away from God because they feel that they can have more fun and live a more meaningful life following their own rules rather than God's rules. And for many people, having following their own rules simply means no rules at all. Having no absolutes can lead to a reckless nation. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.25 that there is pleasure in sin for a season. That means sin's pleasure is only temporary. It's very much like the purple worms I use to catch bass. If I just throw that shiny hook into the water, those bass, they know how to avoid something like that. But if I put one of my trusty purple swirl-tail plastic worms on that hook and bury that barb of the hook down inside that worm, and the bass thinks all he's getting is a nice purple worm snack. That's a different story. He opens that large mouth, that's why they call them largemouth bass, and he just engulfs that worm, hook and all. And he thinks he's getting away with it because the barb of that hook is hidden down deep inside that worm. Every once in a while, 
a bass will take my worm and he's sm so smooth about it, I don't even know it. I don't notice it. There's not the slightest tug. I just happen to notice that my line is just drifting away in the water. And that's kind of strange because the current's going this way. And that bass thinks he's going home to enjoy a nice little purple worm snack. And that's when I pull on that line and set the hook. Listen carefully. Satan loves to bait his hook with the prettiest, tempting, most attractive baits out there. And he just waits for us to take it, thinking there are no consequences. And sometimes he just lets us go on and on before he sets the hook. We need to make sure that we're not living in that reckless nation where we think we're getting away with it, but Satan is just waiting to set that hook. The third faraway country that we can find ourselves in is to ruination. When his money ran out, his friends disappeared, he found himself alone and starving to death. He thought he had it made. No doubt at some point he thought he had everything, but then reality set in. And that's the problem with sin. It never truly satisfies. We find ourselves wanting more and more and are never satisfied. Sin never satisfies. It only leads to ruination. Now when telling the story, when Jesus got to this part about the pigs, there may well have been a collective gasp from the listeners. You have to remember his audience was what we would call today Orthodox Jews. And everything about a pig was filth to them. And not just because of the mud. Everything in their culture, everything in their heritage, everything in their up upbringing, everything in the law said that this was the lowest of all places this young man could have possibly found himself in. And it represents how sin can ruin a life. He wanted to be free, but he had become enslaved to sin. And when people walk away from God, they think they are gaining absolute freedom when what they're getting instead is enslavement to sin. But the good news is that Jesus said, the truth can make you free. And he also said, I am the truth. The way that sin works in our lives is that when unchecked, it enslaves us. There is an uncompromising truth of God that says if you sow sin and disobedience, you are going to reap a bumper crop of suffering. Galatians 6-7 says, do not be misled. No one makes a fool of God. Some of your translations will say God is not mocked. What a person plants, he will harvest. The problem is when people plant sin in their lives and then turn around and pray for crop failure. There can be all kinds of prodigals. People of all ages can be in a right 
and loving relationship with the Father and then through unchecked restlessness and reckless living, they walk away from God's blessings and they end up in a mess. Some end up staying there, but some come back. And that's just part of the good news. You see, you can come back to the Father. And just as we saw last week, He is always willing and longing to receive you. But the rest of the good news is this. You don't have to wait until you get all the way to the pig pen to turn back. At any time, you can return to the blessings and the opportunities of the Father. And the story gives us some help with that as well. Number one in your outlines was, I've wandered far away from God. Now, number two, now I'm coming home. If you've wandered from God, it's not hopeless. There were steps that the son took, and they're the same steps that we can take today to go back home to God. First of all, A, realize what you are. In verse 17, Jesus said, he came to his senses. That's the turning point of the parable. Before you can return to God, you have to first realize what you are away from God. The young man was so hungry, he would have eaten the food that was intended for the pigs, but that wasn't available to him. And in his mind, he was worse off than even those creatures that he despised. Sin had blinded him and enslaved him, but when he came to him, his senses, he saw himself for who and what and where he was, and he was repulsed by what he saw. He wasn't repulsed by the pigs. He was repulsed by what he saw in himself, and he said, I want to go home. The only way that we can approach God is through humility. As long as we feel like we're in control, as long as we continue to make excuses, as long as we try to justify who and what we are, we're only fooling ourselves and we end up in a mess. King David was a child of God, but he walked away from God and he tried to hide it. But when he came to his senses, he repented. Some today will say, well, it's not that bad. I'm not doing uh, anything that's that, not that bad. I'm really doing okay. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. And what about this one? Everybody else is doing it. But when he came to his senses, he realized that he had sinned against God and against his father. And when David realized what he had done, he realized and said to God, I have sinned against you. Some people need to realize who and where and what they are and turn back home. That leads us to the next point in the outline. Repent of who you are. Verse 18, he admitted his rebellion was a sin against God. That's what the Bible calls confession. And it was followed by repentance. Confession and repentance go hand in hand, but they are two separate entities. 
Confession is agreeing with God about sin in your life. And it comes with a sense of regret or remorse over that sin. Repentance, then, is leaving the pig pen. Repentance, then. Verse 20 says the young man got up and went to his father. Repentance is changing from the direction sin is taking you. At the beginning of the story, that prodigal son was saying, give me. Give me my money. Give me my inheritance. Give me what is mine. Give me what I deserve. Give me my freedom. Give me control of my life. But at the end of the story, he was saying, make me. Make me one of your servants. And that is a life-changing attitude and action. And I have a point for us here, and it just may well be the heart of my message. We need to see that he did not just want to go back home, get his old room back again, sleep in his old bed, and show up for three meals a day and, and have an easy life. He said, I want to work for my father. He said, make me one of your servants. Oh, that believers today would say to God, make me one of your servants. Do you see it? Make me one of your servants. Have your way in my life, Lord. Mold me. Make me after your will. I humble myself before you. I yield myself to you. I don't want to sway from you anymore. May Christ be seen in me. Here's your homework. Do what I just did. If you have a hymnal at home, use it or do an internet search and find the text to that hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. If you, if you need to, just get someone to print it for you and bring a copy and then begin praying those words. Rewrite those words. And you know what? You don't have to use the King's English, and it doesn't even have to rhyme. Just look at the phrases of that hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, phrase by phrase, and rewrite them in your own words. And spend some time this week praying that song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Lord, I want you to have your way in my life. Pray that hymn this week. The third step is to return from where you are. It was by an act of his will that he decided to demand his inheritance and run away from those blessings and those opportunities of his father. And it was also by an act of his will that he decided to go home. Verse 18, he says, I will set out and go back. And then in verse 20, he got up and he returned to the presence of the father. And you know what? His father welcomed him home. That's the message that Charles Dickens said was the greatest short story ever. But you know what? That's also the message of the entire Bible. It's God saying, I 
love you. And I want you to come home to me. Find your home with me. Come live with me. In ancient times, tearing our clothes was a sign of sadness and sorrow, even accompanying repentance. I want you to hear from the Old Testament book of Joel. God is saying this, rend your heart, not your garments. Don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate. How beauty comes by skillful hand from just a piece of clay. God turns my darkness into light and changes night to day. The guilt of sin is now removed. He gives new life to me. He turns the failure of my life into a victory. It is a glorious miracle how God's grace changes me. He doesn't see me as I am. He sees what I can be. A new life can be yours today if you just seek his will. Replace your doubt with faith in him and you can triumph still. God's miracle can change your life. His grace for you is free. He does not see you as you are. God sees what you can be. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that you forgive us today for those times that we have turned away from you and followed our own way. Forgive us for those times that we have followed someone else. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Send your spirit to lead us back home to you. For you never turn us away. Remind us of your love. You see us not as we are, but what as we can be through your grace and through your leading and through your love. May we claim that today. Touch our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There may be some present today who need to come home to the Father. You've wandered, and it's just time to come home. You can never go so far away from Him that you cannot come back home again. There may be some today, even one, here today, who needs to come home to Him for the first time. Is God calling you to repent and confess sin in your life? There may be some that God is calling you to make this your church home. You've wandered away and it's time to find a place to call your spiritual home now. Maybe God is leading you here. In any way that God might be speaking to your heart, would you respond? Stand as we sing.